Hey, welcome to Get to Know an Average Joe. Because sometimes when you stop to ask a few questions, you learn incredible things about people. Every human body is different, and I do appreciate that when I work, I, I can feel the undulations of the, the hips and the, the body, or the back, the muscles. I'm your host, Dodie Axelson. Reach me at DodieX on Twitter and let me know what you think of these conversations. We're now going to have a conversation with Mark Basil in his apartment in downtown Mexico City. So we may hear some sounds of traffic. Mark, my first question for you is Basil, which is such a great name. It sounds like somebody with a lot of jowls should be saying it, but you're not jowly at all. Where does this name come from? You know, I honestly don't know the the origin. I have family members who have researched it, and no one has come to the definitive answer, but we think that it may be some sort of um, change of the name Boswell or something that may be from English, Scottish origins, something like that, and that coming to the States, our ancestors changed the name. As is known to happen at Ellis Island, do you know how for how many generations have you been called Basil? Well, I do know that in the, the county, uh, Callaway County in Kentucky, where most of my family still is, on that side of the family, um, there's a cemetery that the Basil, uh, one of my ancestors, a great-great-great-grandfather, I believe, there's three greats there, uh, in the late 1700s donated the land for a Basil cemetery. So I do know that at least into the um, late 1700s, there were basils in the United States. And Kentucky. So what brings a Kentucky boy to Mexico City? Well, I studied landscape architecture in Kentucky. Uh, At the University of Kentucky, I did a bachelor's degree. And then from there, went to Louisiana for a master's degree. And it was during that process of the master's degree that I got a Fulbright grant. And so I came to um, Mexico um, for a year to research cemeteries, and um, that's how I got to know Mexico and love Mexico and ended up deciding this is where I needed to be. I can't resist coming back to the word cemetery. You mentioned the cemetery for the basils and then your Fulbright, the landscape architecture to look at cemeteries. What is going on with you in cemeteries? You know, that's funny that in the same conversation without even really thinking about it, those two things have connected, my, the Basel Cemetery from my ancestors and then the research that I did. You know, cemeteries have always been an interesting place for me. Um, whenever I visit really large cities in Paris and Europe um, and Mexico, um, I, there, and even in the United States, in Boston, New York, there's some amazing historical cemeteries, which I've always found interesting as landscapes. What do cemeteries say to you? What is it that, that you connect with? Well, there's so many levels. I mean, there, there's the landscape aspect of it. Every cemetery in whatever landscape or, or an environment it might be in, whether it be tropical or whether it be woods where it, it freezes in the winter, every cemetery has its own... Um, characteristics that make it very unique. And then, and then you layer on top of that the culture 
um, which which here in Mexico is is fascinating with the Day of the Dead and and all of the history and, and the and the culture that is related to that. But yeah, the even, Day of the Dead is a celebration. It's a big party. It is, and and that was the reason I think that I got the Fulbright grant here in Mexico was because I had studied cemeteries in Europe. I had a research grant first to do um, research in Europe for a summer. Um, and that was sort of the springboard that got me to the research in Mexico. But looking at Mexico and, and the more homogenic culture and religious um, influence that obviously affects the cemeteries here too, which is another layer. Um, yeah, but the day of the day is, is, is so interesting here. It's is unique in the world. And yet some, at some point between 2001 and 2016, there was a crossroads for you because you left landscape architecture as your profession? Um, I never really practiced landscape architecture after I finished my um, master's degree. I came here uh, to Mexico to be with my partner, uh, my ex-partner, and um, at the time I had just finished eight years of study between a bachelor's degree and a master's degree and the Fulbright research, and I was exhausted. And coming to a culture where I really didn't, I didn't speak Spanish that well, um, it took me a while to adjust. And then soon after that, I got a, uh, a job teaching English. I taught st uh, children at first, and then I taught executives. I did that for a number of years. Um, it was a decent work because I had a lot of free time at the same time, but I wasn't a good English teacher, honestly. I was told by a number of either students or my employee, employers that I wasn't really the best, and so I knew that I needed to change. <laughs> Um, but really not unsuspectingly, the only work that I have done here in Mexico as a landscape architect was with a friend um, who outside of Cuernavaca has a property. And he asked me at one point to do some design work for a garden that he had. He had a couple of houses, a pool, a tamascal, um, palapas, and he wanted to improve the property so that it could be used for events, weddings, uh, re uh, retreats, that sort of thing. And so I moved there and helped him with some remodeling of the house and, and did some design work for the garden. The, really the only time that I've done landscape architecture work here. And um, during that time, I met my first massage teacher. Mm. I met Rocio. She's an amazing person. She's a healer. Um, I saw the effect that she had on... Tonio, my boss at the time, because he, he had a very stressful job as a lawyer. And, and so when she would work on him, she changed him dramatically, his, his, his behavior, his, his mood. And so I wanted to learn <laughs> what she taught. She was able to teach me um, about that. And really, and initially, it wasn't to be able to work in that career. It was mostly to be able to work on myself or to my partner or my friends and help them out. You know, everyone has sore muscles. Everybody knows we have tension and stress. And so I just wanted it for practical use more so than um, a career change. Sure. It sounds like you have a, a spiritual connection with choosing massage, but do you ever see bodies as landscapes that you are now shaping? You know, I, I also have learned um, the cosmetic massage, the weight reduction massage, and there's massage that you can actually shape and mold the body, which is interesting to think of now. I haven't done this in a long time, but you can, you can do massage that moves fat and, and blood around in the body so that you can fill out a bust line, reduce the waistline, make your bum a little bigger. 
Um, and, and that's impressive because, you know, that's like shaping a landscape in a way. It's temporary. It doesn't last permanently. It's not like, a, you know, plastic surgery, but it works for the weekend. If, you go, <laughs> if you're going <laughs> to the beach or you have to get ready for a wedding and fill out a dress and look really nice. It, like anybody needs an extra excuse for a massage. <laughs> right. <laughs> Every human body is different, and I do appreciate that when I work. I, I can feel the... the undulations of the the hips and the the body the back the muscles uh, it's interesting it's it's not like working really on a landscape but you know the the body if you looked at it that way it could be do you think your life as an expat has shaped you in a certain way and if so how definitely um and when I go back to the states to visit, it's 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 different, different, and sometimes difficult now. I, I have a hard time seeing myself adapting to a move back to the United States from home. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but then there are things here that still make me crazy. What I think, you know, in the states, we have certain things that are more organized, uh, better. Uh, service. Um. Sometimes I think the prerogative of an expat is to be able to complain about his or her adopted country in a way that no one else can. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you see things from a different perspective um, when you go back and from here. And I, I realize that I'm here for a reason, that I've been here almost 15 years for a reason. Um, I've ad- and that reason is? I've adapted really well here. I'm very happy in the city. Uh, there are a lot of advantages to a big city that, that you know, living in a small town, rural Kentucky, whatever, even in the biggest city in Kentucky, um, and, you know, it's hard to find what you find here as far as just the movement and the energy and the culture. And, you know, I, I do massage and I work on a lot of expats and I work on people from dozens of countries. And that to me is fascinating. And that wouldn't happen in Kentucky. <laughs> <laughs> I might get a few odd, you know, uh, people from other countries. But, you know, here it's a constant. Every day I can do four massages. And sometimes it's four people from four different continents. Right. And that to me is fascinating. I get great stories from people from all over the world. But I love Mexico City. The, water, the weather's great. The cost of living. Um, the food is amazing. Um, people are warm and friendly. I feel that when I go back to the States, I have to sort of restrain myself because I've become accustomed to here to the, the hug and the kiss when you meet someone. Absolutely. And when I go to the States, my friends, even my best friends from college, they sort of stiffen up a bit. They're not right. used to, they don't greet themselves that way. Yeah, there's that whole personal space. It's and the, interesting yeah. now. And I realize that I, I'm much more adapted and more comfortable here. You're in a cross-cultural relationship as well. Do you find that your experience as an expat in your 15 years of being here is, or how does that help you in a cross-cultural relationship? Because your partner is Mexican, yes? Yes, he is Mexican. Um, My first relationship was much more difficult because I didn't speak Spanish when I first arrived, and he did not speak English. So really, there were a couple of years that were very trying. But still, you know, there, there are a lot of conflict still, things that are very hard for me to understand. The dramatic Mexican, the famous dramatic Mexican, they're, they're known to be very dramatic, and they are. And there are moments where when my partner and I have maybe altercations or we don't understand each other, and he gets very dramatic, and I find it comical, which doesn't help the situation because he's trying to take it seriously and he's being, trying to be very mad, you know, and it's not easy when I'm laughing. Maybe in five years he'll be laughing and you'll be 
dramatically crying. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, it may not even take five years. Who knows? We've only been together three, so we'll see. <laughs> so where do you see Mark in, gosh, it's 2016, let's just say, in the year 2020? Where are you and what are you doing? Oh, you know, I've I've done a lot of soul searching on this in the last year or so. Um, what is my dream? What do I want to be doing? You know, I've always sort of been one of those people who has let life throw things at me and then I take the best options, whatever my gut says, go with this, go here, go there. I've never been one of those people who had this um, path, you know, that age 30 I needed to be married with. There's no Excel sheet with the plan. No, not, not, not for me, you know, but... There have been there are things that I, that I've always thought that I wanted to um, do, and one is to live on the beach and possibly have a bed and breakfast or some sort of business on the beach. I sort of still see myself kind of floating around, letting life kind of pull me wherever I need to go. But that's kind of where I'm thinking about. Well, happy soul searching and happy beach bumming. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Mark's story. Our next guest will be multinational Jesper Rode. A Dane living in Sao Paulo, Brazil. Last year, 2050. So uh, I said to myself, when I'm 60, I want to work with three things. I want to work with the company management. I want to work to uh, work as board member. I want to work with teaching. And um, I want to work with innovation and companies starting up. Please let me know what you think of Get to Know an Average Joe at Dodiax on Twitter. And now... If you'll excuse me, 